Guts and Grit Podcast. A podcast where we discuss overcoming the odds, resiliency, and never giving up. Join us each week as host John Melson, Joy Vatrebeck, and Mark Renahan discuss coming back from failure and never quitting. Guts and Grit, it's go time. Welcome to another episode of Guts and Grit. I believe this is episode 10. I, I am your right. host, Mark Renahan, of course, with my lovely host, Joy, next to me. Thank you, Mark. And as always, coming from Fort Benning, Sergeant Melson. Johnny, how are you? Hi, John. Doing all right, Mark. Thanks for asking. Uh, how are you good. doing? Good. And as always, Noah, the engineer, to guide us through. Well, we are going on part two. We have back with us the same guest as last week, Sergeant Brian Wood. We were discussing the battle at OP Nevada. I, I have yet to bring this up, but OP stands for Observation Post for those of you who are not veterans back there. But uh, before we get the show started, I wanted to just point out that, that one of the reasons why we do the show is to to honor our veterans. Of mm -hmm. course, Joy is married to one. John and mm -hmm. Brian are veterans. But it gives me a huge smile that when these two get on the Zoom call earlier and they just see one another, you can see the camaraderie That's and the, the happiness in their faces just to say, like, I'm glad this is a no swearing show because I can tell the two of them want to start ragging on the other one. But anyway, <laughs> on that, on that uh, theory, uh, and Brian, of course, has brought his Dunkin' Donuts coffee with him and in honor <laughs> Of the yeah, Massachusetts National Guard Nothing Mad Dogs. Else. Yes. Nothing else. Nothing else. Oh, That's oh, right. We have big fans of Duncan's yes, here at the are. Guts and Grit show. Maybe just, they could be a sponsor. I, just, I rub it on my gums. You know, I just rub it on my gums. I think that's the best way to get Maybe it. Maybe we'll get Duncan doing it. Straight to the bloodstream. Yes. Straight to the bloodstream. Uh, all right. Well, for those of you who missed last week's show, we were talking about an incredible story in Afghanistan, the story of OP Nevada, which was a battle fought in Afghanistan. Of course, both John and Brian took part in it, and it was an incredible display of both guts and grit. Nine men were overwhelmed and almost overthrown thrown by the Taliban, but they came together using our cheesy tagline of guts and grit and were able to, uh, you know, fend off an incredible invasion. But when we left off last time, Brian had just told us his part of the story. Briefly, again, like we just said, um, they had been attacked by a massive, overwhelming force of the Taliban. There was only nine guys up there and some of them were fighting in their underwear. It became such a quick and a fast attack. John, uh, was back at the, I believe, at a, a Ford operating base and was watching all this from across the valley, of course, being these are his friends, and not only his friends, his soldiers and his men, he was quite concerned. And eventually, thankfully, uh, John was able to get a quick reaction force, which they call a QRF, uh, to come, and two helicopters happened to free up, and they came in. And John discussed a little bit uh, of the battle at the end of next week, but we kind of wanted to let the two of you to discuss it. And John, I guess I, I kind of wanted to start off, like again with what I was saying, uh, the the camaraderie. Excuse me, I can't say it. Um, that goes on, uh, you know, between both men, women, but you know, whatever in the service, it, it's shown right here. But that, how did that affect you? I guess, like you know, knowing you're there, and you know, not that it would ever be different, of course, with any soldiers, but knowing, like you know, hey, it's Brian. We were all just living in a house. These are my boys. I want to get up there and help them. How, how much did that play in, in this battle? So, it's last show, Mark, uh, you know, Brian, we, we lost you there. You know, me and Brian talked afterwards and had some bad weather. So, we lost the internet connection with Brian. But uh, what I was mentioning in the last show is the emotional detachment. Um, it, it's really hard because, you know, in any unit, whether it's a specialized unit, an infantry platoon, or a section you're in, 
everybody starts to develop these bonds, right? And you don't come into it like, hey, I'm here to make new friends. You're here to work, right? And you develop these relationships, these friendships. That's all a bonus, right? But then when times get tough, um, times Brian and I had on previous deployment. So when this had come up, it's, it's very difficult to go ahead and emotionally detach and continue to think tactically and to, you know, don't base you. Oh, Johnny, I just. He froze a little. Johnny, we got we to gotta get you some new internet up there at Fort Benning. <laughs> uh, you just I mean, froze. You're back now. You're back now. Sorry. Go ahead. So the uh, being able to detach yourself from making emotional decisions is a, is a really difficult thing as a leader, um, especially because of how close we had all become, you know, guys living under the same household before we ended up deploying, uh, spending so much time together and going through, through stuff and helping each other through it prior to the deployment. It brings us really close together. Um, but then, you know, just to touch on, you know, move back to Afghanistan to where, you know, Brian's up there, he's slugging it out. He's leading his guys. Um, taking place down on the FOB. I had mentioned on the previous show that, you know, a couple of times I had to leave the tactical operations center, the talk to go to the platoon room to talk to Brian more privately. And I said, we had another frequency that we would talk amongst ourselves. It, it, it wasn't like so much. We had a frequency to undermine the, the commander. It was just to free up the, the, the radio waves. So the official talk, there was two radios up on the OP, right? One, was for to talk back and forth from the OP to Fob Wright and to Fob Joyce. And then the other radio was there to go ahead and talk internally, a little less formal, you would say, right? So, you know, if Brian was up there, myself, Sergeant O'Boyle, Sergeant Pazuti, Sergeant Drew would go in the platoon room and these guys would talk trash back and forth as well as, hey, I, when you send up the mules or the resupply, you know, I need this, I need that versus putting it over the over the, the radio waves to where the commander and everybody else bogs down the radio in case something bad had to be transmitted. Uh, so we, we, we used that internal frequency, not so much to, I, I, I was worried about it after listening to the last show, like it was like, hey, we're trying to do stuff underhanded behind the commander. And it was, it was just for, for efficiency. And because how close these guys were, it just freed things up to where they could talk where everything isn't so formal all the time. Um, so as Brian was up there doing his thing, and there was a couple of times I had to step out of the talk and go down to the platoon room and get on our radio, and we would talk more informally. And, um, you know, and I'd go back up into the tactical operations center to track what's going on, figure out how the commander and the command team's going to move forward with this. Um, and our lieutenant was in there. Uh, Lieutenant Marusak, a uh, really good lieutenant. Uh, he was with the commander inside monitoring everything from the Tactical Operations Center. And so as discussions were going, as Brian's calling down, hey, are, are we going to get resupply? Are we going to get help up here? Um, you know, what, what's what's your plan down there? Basically what he's asking, you know, what, what are you guys going to provide for us? Uh, it's getting pretty bad up here. Um, and so it was all the members of the command team, plus myself, plus some of the, the OGA and the, the special operations detachment folks were, were in the operations center monitoring, listening. And, um, you know, I ran down one last time 
uh, down to the platoon room and, you know, get, I call up Mad Dog 3, there's a 7, and hey, Brian, you know, he's, hey, John, this is, what, what's going on? Like, are, are we going to be able to get anybody up here? And I'm, I'm, I'm working it, man. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working it. Just do your thing, watch your shots, slow down your rate of fire. I'm coming. I'm, like, we're, we're coming up. And so we come back up to, I come back up into the talk and they're still going, they're doing their thing across the mountain. You can watch it all. And, um, Brian's calling down, he's giving uh, situational reports to the command team. Hey, this is what's going on. We're taking contact from the right. Hey, they broke contact. Now we're taking contact from the one o'clock. Um, and he's reporting down that, that the Afghan element that was up there, they're out of ammo for the cadence. They're at our our six. They're at our rear flank, and they're out of ammo. Well, this this is getting really bad for us. And uh, it was myself, uh, the leadership from the ODA, and there was uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Baden from the Civil Affairs Command Team. There, he's everybody's pressuring the Navy commander, like, "Hey, we got to do something." Like Bob, Bob Joyce on the other side of the valley over in Ganjago, they're not recognizing there's Americans up there. Um, so 25th Infantry Division is not following the fact that there's Americans up there and it's getting really bad. Um, so that's part of the reason why uh, they weren't going to provide any any assistance. They thought it was just Afghans up there being overrun. And uh, the Navy commander at the time, uh, his, his words in, in the conversation while things were getting hot were that um, they, those soldiers, they get paid to die. Um, and that, that didn't go well. Um, I, that's when I walked out of the top and I slammed the door and I broke the hinges. Um, Colonel Baden came running out, the special forces guys came out and and all the platoon guys that are all geared up, ready to go. Like I told them and who was selected to go up, everyone stays ready. They saw me come out storming out. They thought it was time to go. And I was Tell, tell everybody to stand down. I didn't want to tell anyone what was going on. And I, and I just walked out to like where over by where Brian would know where the basketball court was. And I'm just looking across, looking up at them up on the mountain. And I'm, I'm, I'm amazed like, okay, how I, I, I can't just leave the fob. I'm going to like, I'm going to go to jail. Like, what am I going to do? <laughs> I, I, I can't, I can't leave them up there. Right. And, and I got this guy in the, in the control center saying that they get paid to die and they don't get paid to die. They get paid to, to win, right? To kill the enemy. And I, I couldn't believe he, he, he was saying this. Um, and Colonel Baden was just telling me, hey, you know, like, you just got to take a breath for a minute. Let's take a tactical pause. Let's get our thoughts together. You, you, you're not going to win anything. You're not going to get them the help they need up there exploding in, in front of the commander. So let's just let's take a pause for a minute and figure this out. And so watching it for a little bit, having some more discussion, walk back into the talk and um, all the officers went off into the commander's room and they shut the door and you could hear a lot of uh, loud voices, very loud voices. And Brian's calling down, giving the sit reps. And I looked over on the computer screen. Brian knows what it is, the blue force tracker. And I, I could see two blue dots and I went over while everyone's doing their thing, and I clicked on the touch screen, and it showed up, you know, the icon, what they were, and who they were. And they were Black Hawk helicopters. And they were flying from, coming from the north, 
going to south to Nangahar. So they were going to bypass our location. And so the commander and the other officers came walking out now. And I had said to him, I said, sir, I got people staged outside. I got speed balls, resupply with water, ammo. I got select guys just for this job, just to go up there. This is what we trained for. And he was like, well, you're not really, you're national guard. And again, that didn't go over well. <laughs> I guess not. Um, and, you know, I, I'm going to make a joke of it, right? Because we're all sitting here. We, we all made it through the night, so I can make a joke, right? But it was like, I could have went into Jay Miller mode really quick. <laughs> I, I'm picturing pulling the shirt over the head, start slugging uppercuts. I'm getting three minutes in the penalty box, right? And I'm like, that's not going to that's not gonna be good right now. We can't do that. Right? <laughs> I, I say that in jest. Right. Of course, of but, course. But it was it was tense. I was like, "You got to be kidding me! We're not now. We're not real infantry. Well, nobody else is willing to go help, right? So no matter whether or not we're real infantry or not, those are real soldiers. Those are my real friends. Those are real Americans up there that we're hanging out to dry right now. End of the day, right? Regardless to what's your opinion of what's real and what's not, that is what's happening right now is real. And so. Um, he was like, well, see if those helicopters will assist. So I send them a message, uh, type up the message real quick, and I send it to the pilots. And unfortunately, the pilots were like, hey, we're coming back from another mission. We have to go back to Nangahar Air Base down to Jalalabad and refuel. We cannot assist. So I was like, well, there goes that option. It looks like we're going to have to maybe walk up that mountain somehow. If they're going to let us go, we're going to have to walk up it. Um, still a lot of... Tense discussions going on. Brian's still handling business up there. And then um, I walked outside and I just wanted to go outside and, and see how they were doing. I was tired of listening on the radio and I'm standing out there. And one of the members from the, the uh, operational detachment uh, from the special forces came walking up and he had a satellite phone. And he was like, hey, you need to get the fuck up there. Sorry about the F-bomb. But he's like, those are your guys and I know you're ready to go said, yeah, but there's Blackhawks ain't helping. He said, I'm going to make a phone call. He got on the phone, and I don't know who he called. I'm, I'm going to assume, and I might be safe to assume, he called an element at Jalalabad with an airstrip where the hel those helicopters were going. And next thing you know, the helicopters are messaging back, saying that the airstrip lights were out, they could not land, and they needed fuel and they would be willing to assist if we could fuel them at our location, which of course we could. We were a fire. We, we could refuel. So I said I had, you know, 11, 12 guys I need to insert at this location. When you land, we can show you the grid location and, and we need to get put up there ASAP. And they they agreed. The, the, the Navy commander, I mean, he was he was reluctant, but he, he was like, you, you're going. Get them ready. I was like, all right. We're going to do this. And then anyone that was not vital to be inside the talk in the operation center ran up with all my guys to uh, assist with carrying all the supplies and, and make sure we all got put on those two, those two Blackhawks, make sure we all got loaded up and we, we were good to go heading up there. And um, uh, it was tough. I mean, I know I, I'm not even going to compare to you know, what it was like for those guys up on the mountain, but it was tough to see the look in everyone's eyes that were not picked to go on the QR, the quick reaction force, the QRF. Um, 
was a technical guy. Wow, we, we didn't hear that side of the story last time. Yeah, so no. It's very intense. Uh, yeah. They, <laughs> everybody wanted to get on. Johnny, take a minute. It's all right, yeah, brother. Yeah. I, I can't thank you guys enough for always coming, by the way, and telling these stories. And I hope telling this story helps you get off. So let, let me, let's go back for a second so we can kind of get a little smirk back on people's faces. One. I'm just a big softie. I, I know you are, Johnny. I know you are. So three things I'm going to point out. One, F-bombs are okay if they're quoting somebody because you're <laughs> quoting somebody, so it's not yours. Two, from, for the boys watching, speedball isn't what you're thinking. It's a bag that the boys use, the soldiers use, that they put, um, you know, water, ammo, things like that, and body bags. And three, for those of you who are young and don't know who the, of course, Jay Miller is, when John and I were youngsters, Jay Miller was the goon for the Boston Bruins that we all loved. So that's why Johnny's bringing that up. But all right. Well, also, let's go back to and and thank you, John, for reminding us last time that the National Guard guys, these, these are regular. Yeah. Guys that are plumbers, businessmen, um, pizza delivery guys that have said, hey, we want to go up there and help. We want to go to Afghanistan. We want to go where you're sending us. Yeah, and I think that the the whole, you know, the National Guard guys aren't the same. as That that whole thing has been replaced since we've been at war for so long. And National Guard units, especially infantry units, have been going over and over and over and over. So back to the story, though. Um, so, Brian, now you're up on the, you're up on the mountain and... You, you see Johnny. I, I, I have to imagine seeing that big animal coming down must have given you a little bit of uh, a little bit of momentum with the troops. No. Yeah, no, it was it was it was great to see John coming up. It was good to hear uh, the voice that said, hey, QRF will be up there in two minutes. Uh, like I said, it was it was uh, 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 very surprising. Uh, it was very fast. And then knowing what I still had to do in order to go ahead and mark the LZ. That kind of sucked. So just to know what had to be done. Uh, so it was it was great. I wish I had more time to prepare, but we really did it. Um, and it was just more, uh, you know, you, you let your training kick in. Uh, you know, you do the common sense leadership. Uh, if it makes sense, do it. Uh, you know, the commander's intent, the, the overall uh, uh, mission success um, still requires me to cause as many damn, uh, you know, casualties as I possibly can. Uh, save my guys' life, um, you know and make sure that uh, the guys coming in on the birds are not gonna be exposed to, you know, overwhelming or harassing enemy fire in unknown terrain, in the middle of a firefight, uh, in the pitch black. So uh, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of moving parts in that moment. So it was it was a relief, it was a very short relief, um, because that was kind of half the battle is to be able to mark the LC, not get killed myself, and then make sure that these guys, as they landed, we were able to go ahead and navigate through the maze of uh, Constantino wire and things like that to get back up to the, uh, you know, get back to the uh, uh, observation post where we can go ahead and reset and refit and then really just kind of embolden our defenses and things like that. I, I didn't think of that, by the way. This just hit me. So part of this battle was at nighttime, correct? It was all at nighttime, yeah. It was, it was all, all in the dark? Oh, wow. Excuse me, in the yep. dark for those who don't have the boss. But I didn't realize that. That's that makes it even crazier. I just that just hit me mm -hmm. for the first time that this is all happening in the pitch black. Are you guys wearing night vision goggles or is that back and forth? Or? Yeah, no, we, we've got MVGs. Our Afghan counterparts didn't have night vision capabilities. And one mm -hmm. thing I left out this last episode was our two small um, observation posts where our Afghans were in the middle of this 
myself and the interpreter, I would run from the other ones to try and consolidate their defenses um, and try and conserve ammo and kind of switch their people around while our guys were up on our observation post as well. So think of it as like a small triangle that was up there, about 50 meters in between each one. Um, so in doing that, wanted to make sure that as the Blackhawks and everything were going to be landing, let them know that, hey, we have QRF, we have people coming up here because they were asking that every five, 10 minutes, you know, where's the Americans? Why are they not helping? Why are they not helping? I couldn't answer that, but what I could do is I consolidate their defenses and try and consolidate their ammo and try to make our, our perimeter a little bit smaller so we're easier. It's a little bit easier to command and control. Very difficult to do with my interpreter, who is just a, a, a ball of just a mess, just an emotional mess. Um, never worked with this guy before, and after that one, I think I asked to never work with him again. <laughs> I mean, he did, he did okay with whatever we had, um, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was it, it was a lot going on, and it was it was almost too much to deal with in process. You just kind of have to go with what's going on, you know, get the tactical advantage, and just it's just is your baseline. It's just your baseline, um, you know, parameters of, of what you know has to get done, and rely on your guys, you know, command and control. Make sure you dictate to them what you need done. Allow them to do it. Don't oversee everything. Don't micromanage and just know that they're going to get done to the best of their abilities. And then just, just overall communication, just constant communication, just constant communication to the talk to John and everybody else to let them know exactly what's going on. It's, it's amazing the training you guys go through that has you still yeah. like to this day going through everything as if you're ready to go. It's impressive to watch, Brian. I'm not going to lie to you. It's, 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 it's good to know that you got, you guys are the ones keeping me safe. So that, that's good. But that brings me to my, my next little kind of comment. So, you know, I keep, we keep telling the story and in my own head, I keep thinking, all right, John arrives and that's it. But QRF gets there. It certainly isn't over yet. I mean, the Taliban's still rushing up the mountain. So let's go. So John's there. You've come back. You thought he was kidnapped. You ran down they got you back up, but now, I mean, you're still fighting, right? You still gotta, you still gotta, you know, beat the enemy, and you still gotta win. So go from there, the two of you. Yeah, so we were able to consolidate our defenses and bolster them. Um, the speedballs came up. All of our ammunition and everything was resupplied. Um, all of our sectors of fire were doubled down on, um, and then it was right then and only then where it seemed like the news, the news flash came out to every, every, you know. Um, operational unit around the area that there were Americans in contact. So suddenly, I don't know if it was that phone call that, uh, you know, John's friend had made or whatever. Suddenly aircraft was available. Suddenly people had more ammunition. Suddenly people, you know, we were able to go ahead and get, still get indirect fire from other fobs as well, or they were resupplied. And then we had fixed wing and rotary wing aircraft. So we had um, F-18s, we had a B-1, and then we had um, Kiowa helicopters and we had Apache helicopters. All of them came down and were just raining hellfire on the entire mountain, wherever we were calling it out. And we were also going off of the interpreter's ICOM messages, which was being confirmed by OGA, you know, the special forces guys down on the FOB. They were getting the same communications. They were intercepting the same radio transmissions as well. Um, so we can kind of direct our fires based off of visual if we could see them. And also audio um, uh, communications that we were that we were um, uh, getting from the Taliban. Um, they know our tactics. They've been that we had been at war for forever there, so they know our tactics. And some of the better ones have very even been there since the Russians. So they know that we use thermal heat-seeking vision. So they were talking in code about the helicopters. They would call them flies. They said the flies are here. The flies are here. You know, use your blankets. 
So we knew that they were covering themselves up with blankets to try to uh, minimize their heat signature. And it's hot out there. I mean, it's just so the rocks and stuff have absorbed a lot of the heat overall the entire day. And they're still, you know, radiating heat. So it's very, very difficult for helicopters and, and you know, and, and anything else like that to be able to actually zero in on that imagery. And they did a really good job at um, minimizing their uh, their footprint. You know, the Taliban, I'll give them credit where credit's due. They did a good job, you know, uh, uh, doing that and communicating, initiating contact, breaking contact, trying to flank around, you know, and expose weak areas. They, they did a really good job with that. And I, like I said, I'll, do, I'll give credit to where it's due. Um, I think the violence of action that we brought and the only thing that the saving grace was the amount of ammunition that we had from um, mortars and from artillery at other bases. Had those have not been there or if we would have went dry about an hour or two beforehand, it would be a totally different story. Mm. So how long did the whole battle take, basically? Um, it was a solid nine hours, if not longer. Okay. Um, time kind of time kind of phased in and out, and there were there were lulls in the engagement. It wasn't a solid nine hours straight firefight. There were lulls in the engagement as they broke contact, maneuvered around, you know, 15, 20 minutes, and this and that, whatever. And you could hear how many people had split off and things like that, and then resumed the attack on the you know the six o'clock or the nine o'clock or the eight o'clock or wherever and we're just trying to expose those weak areas especially with the afghan units down there um that's where our, that's where we were weakest so, so that's why i was trying to consolidate their defenses and bring them in with the interpreter and just like hey guys you have to make sure we're 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 not just spraying and praying you have to make sure you get a visual confirmation of your target before you actually fire you have to have a, a sustained rate of fire that's able to save your ammo. Three to five second burst, three to five second burst only, and if only you actually have a visual and you know you can actually hit your target, which is a totally different story there. Johnny, how, how about you now towards the end of this? Uh, I mean, I guess the both of you, like what, what goes through your mind? How do you tell it's finally over and you're like, all right, this is it. And then what do you do? Like, I mean, do you just, you know, sit down and be like, mother, uh, how does it work? That's what I was wondering. How do you, when did you process? The, the next morning, as the sun started coming up, uh, I thought it was really cool. Uh, Taliban still wanted to school around. They were coming up through that cut, Brian, right off underneath where the, where the site system was. Where we had the LRAS. Yeah, about the one o'clock. Yep. And they, they were coming up there and the Kaya was flew in. And Cairo helicopters, they're not really, they're more of a recon scout uh, helicopter. And the pilots had flown in and they, they were able to see them down in, in, trying to hide in between the rocks. Pilots were dropping hand grenades out of <laughs> out of the side of the helicopter. and wow. To mark the location, they would drop smoke or drop frag grenades out of the helicopter down on top of the Taliban. And then they would swoop out and the other Kyle would come in and, and hit them with like 5.7 millimeter rockets, right? Well, whatever size millimeter rockets they were carrying. And they started mm -hmm. to cut. And it was like to where the defilade was where we couldn't engage with a with a, uh, a 50 cal or the 240 Bravo machine gun because they were, the rounds aren't going to curve down, right? So they were down in the low ground climbing up and just lobbing rounds up at us, just spraying and praying, hoping they, they, they could get one of us, you know, as we peek over the wall. Um, and that was, that, that was it, the, the, the morning, the, the very next morning after we got in that night. And then 
Like they broke contact, pilots, pilots confirmed some dead and they flew off and they said they would still be on station if we needed them for like another 45 minutes to an hour, depending on how much fuel they had. And nothing happened at that point. And then at that, that's when you start crashing. That's when the adrenaline starts coming off and you start to realize, okay, we made it. Like we, we got through it, you know, and, um, it's not really like a white flag gets waved or you hear the whistle blow, the buzzer sounds, the game's over. It just kind of, it just kind of fizzled out. Right. And, but like Brian said, like it would be sporadic when they would come and, and, and initiate contact with us. It's a mad minute. It was, they're doing everything they can to try and, and penetrate, get inside our perimeter. And, and we're doing everything trying to lay an ass open. Right. But then just not, shooting everything we have, right? Because we have to sustain, right? We can't just can't, we got a hundred bullets, doesn't mean we shoot all a hundred, right? We got to be effective with our fires. And um, I mean, that's how it came about for me in the morning. I, I thought it, the way it ended was really good for everybody. Ended on a good note. We were very fortunate. Uh, Brian Brian did an amazing job. Um, the training and, and, and luck was on our side. The, the uh, terrain was on our side. Everything worked in our favor. Um, as to, you know, we, we didn't, we didn't lose anybody. Mm. Right? So like everything worked out for our favor. I like to say more so than anything else. Um, it was based on the training and the, and the leadership that those soldiers had up there, you know, thanks to Brian, Pizzuti, Drew, O'Boyle. That, that, that was my, my next question. And I know we're going to try to to get some of the guys on an upcoming show. Um, but uh, I mean, you, you guys must obviously have stories about some of the guys you were with. I'm going to let them when we have them on, tell them, but I mean that, yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking at your eyes, John. I remember when you talk to them, they, this is a clean show. We, we can't go too far <laughs> off the deep end here, but you know, I mean, but Brian, my, my question for you, did you guys get off? Like when it's all over the next morning, did they take you guys off? The, you know, do you leave OP Nevada, head down to the fob for a while? How does that work? Oh, we had we had only been up there for about two or three days and we had a week rotation up there. Um, it oh was goodness. recommended that we come down off of the mountain and I refused. Uh, I wanted to finish our rotation. So we finished our rotation for the week up there. Um, and then, you know, we had our 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 nasty little beards. and We were all dirty and things like that. for not shaving up there and everything. Um, but no, we, we, we refused to come off of the mountain. We did not need to rest or refit. The only rest and refit we needed was the camaraderie of our, of the guys that came up there. We just, all we wanted was food and ammo. Give us food and ammo and we'll stay up. We'll stay up here for a whole month. So, so just so, just so I have this straight after this entire fight, right? Two days, whatever. You just go up, you you, you get some food from Melson, some ammo, and you stay there for five more days. Huh? Is that, is that right? Yeah, Yeah. Yep, I can't I can't swear <laughs> online, but that is some bleepity bleepity bleep bleep. All right, so I just want to throw this out there, right? That was Brian's choice, but I think there was some peer pressure with that as well because I don't think his other fellow squad leaders would let him live it down if he was like, "Oh, I need a break. I need to come down." Here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would have. I would have. I would have been happy to go to the chow hall in the gym. <laughs> Brian, I, Brian I, I heard that what happened was is that Melson said you're going to come down, and you said, "Is there Dunkin' Donuts coffee?" And he said, right. "Yeah." And you said, "I'll be up here for a month with my Dunkin' Donuts. That's all I need." 
Well, one of the, I know one of, one of the cool things that uh, had happened was um, when we had got the initial reports, we had, uh, we put a brand new American flag up on top of the observation posts. So we had camouflage netting and all this other stuff and everything was blended in nice and well, but then you have this red, white, and blue flag right on top. And it was almost just like a, here we are, we're not afraid. These are Americans that are up here. And it was the day after, um, when, uh, you know, this is the, the morning after or even the afternoon after, and I had pulled the flag down and we replaced it. And I still have the flag to this day that was flying over that battle. Um, you know, I, I think I have a picture of John um, when I was taking the flag down because everyone was just exhausted. But I've got a picture of John just sitting there. <laughs> passed out with his mouth open in the sun. Oh, we, we would, we here at the guts and grit program would love a yes, copy of that would. picture. So, it was just for social was media just and merchandising. <laughs> Everyone was just and this is so not cool right now. So not cool. Yes. Mark, I just emailed you the photo of that squad the next morning. Well, actually not the next morning when they were coming off the OP, I sent you a really what we call a whoa photo of Brian and his squad holding that exact flag coming down off of the OP. And he wants to throw me under the bus about me catching these looking like a turd up there. (laughs) Oh, that we're going to have to share that picture. That's fantastic to do that. Uh, So gentlemen, we're going to, we're coming to the end, but I wanted to just, it's amazing. um, A, that you guys would come on and talk about this. I can, you can tell, uh, I can't imagine like reliving this in your head, mm. and I have a feeling you both know it every minute of it. You know, if you if you go back on it, um, but I'm really looking forward to talking to some of you know the guys that served under you, uh, and just you know so we can get the whole story out there and, and hear their amazing stories. And I'm sure they have some interesting things to say about the two of you two. That's that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I only have one question for John because I didn't see any tactical advantage to this, but the the, the, the he had stayed up there another night. John, could you answer? Why did you feel the need to to spoon me on my cock? <laughs> it held me so tight, so tight. I don't know why you did that, but maybe. You <laughs> oh, that was that was. Happens in Afghanistan. That's a that's a new commercial. Thursday. Hey, but Mark and Brian will confirm this too, man. Just to let you know. Not everybody that was in that element was infantry soldiers. Brian had Brian had a cook. He was an army cook, right? He had and a cook. He had a, a mechanic. He had a mechanic. Both of them part of his squad. They sent them because we didn't have enough people to deploy with. They took volunteers, and we had a cook. Watson, awesome guy. Yep. Right? Watson went over, served as an infantryman as a cook, and mm-hmm. uh, what's the mechanic's name? I'm drawing a blank. Handle. He was a Navy, a Navy, Navy mechanic. Yep. So he was a Navy uh, sailor and got put in with the platoon and he, he went with us. He, he rocked it too. So we had guys from that were not all infantry. But we trained them up to be infantry. We never know the difference. It's How many guys were there total? Nine, including myself. Okay. It's almost uh, as if they used a little guts and grit, grit to get <laughs> off the mountain there, Johnny. You know what I mean, Brian? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Well, gentlemen, first, thank you so much. For those of you watching, Brian today runs Good Shepherd Defense. It is an incredible organization. Check out their website, www. I think I got this right, Good Shepherd Defense, but two Ds, Shepherd and then Defense, so you don't get it wrong, but you can do, uh, they get all sorts of great training. Check them out on their site. 
I think next week, Johnny, we're going we're to have some of the, the team on the show with you guys. What do you think? Yeah, so I talked to some of the guys. Um, I don't know if you've had comms with anybody, Brian. Some of the guys that want to come on, especially uh, Hernandez. Oh, gosh. I like that already. I like that reaction right there alone. We so. can't make, wait to meet some of those yeah. <laughs> you need it. You need it. You need to do an episode where it's just campfire stories, where you get all of us on a campfire and just set the camera up and don't don't stop recording. Just give us about six hours. That's that, <laughs> I but love it. I, I, can, I was going to say I can have that. That's I can have that idea. done if you guys get all together in one spot. Yeah. So yeah. I, we, we got we have an event in November. Maybe we'll get a bunch of you guys down here and have a little yeah, fun. We'll record their. Where are you? You're in Illinois now, Brian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I require first class. I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure there. it's in the budget. Yeah, <laughs> uh, our budget's a tad low here at Cuts and Grip, but we'll see what we can do. Gentlemen, it was an honor to have you both yes, on here. Thank uh, you. What an incredible story. I'm glad you're both here and still in one mm. piece, by the way. Uh, for everybody watching, you can follow us on Facebook. We're at Guts and Great. We're on all the major social media platforms, and you can listen to the show wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Again, this week, we were discussing part two of the OP Nevada battle that took place in... What year was that in Afghanistan? 2009, guys? 11. 2011. Same year mm -hmm. the Boston Bruins won the Stanley Cup. Go figure. Anyway, it was great to have you gentlemen both on. Johnny and Brian, why don't you guys take us out today? Go ahead. Give take us out. Go ahead, bro. Go ahead. What am I saying? Johnny, you, you got you to gotta go with your uh, tagline. Is yeah, what, he's got to tagline. He's got a tagline, yeah. Brian. Yeah. Oh. Like I always say, train to be hard to kill. <laughs> and I think Brian had been trained hard to kill the yes. day at OP Nevada. Gentlemen, thank you thank so you. much. Johnny, I'll talk to you soon. Brian, thanks as always, brother. Talk to you soon, guys. Have a great day. Have a good one, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Guts and grit. Like, subscribe, comment, share.